0: Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. My name is Tim Barton, and I'm the pastor of Family Ministries uh, here at the Vine. I also just wanna take a moment to say that uh, Pastor John and and Lizanne are away in Florida. They've um, They've been there for this weekend, for a wedding um, of two, two children um, who've grown up in this church. Um, and so we're just thankful for them, thankful they're able to be there. Um, and then I'm thankful to be here with you this morning to open God's word uh, together. When my oldest son, who was a toddler, he's actually sitting over here, he's not a toddler anymore. Um, but, but when he was a toddler, I came home one day and I, and I walked into the, the door and he's sitting in the floor just kind of whimpering, kind of, <laughs> my wife's sitting on the couch right next to him. I looked at her and what I got from her was, yeah, I don't know. I've tried. I'm kind of done. Um, she didn't leave him, but she was there. She was there, but she was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, I still at that time lived under the delusion that I could fix what was going on in my children, um, that I could help them and make it all better. And so I did the natural thing. I went and I knelt down to him trying to fix it all. And I said, hey, buddy, what's wrong? I not know, daddy, followed by uncontrollable crying. (laughs) I just made it worse. But I tell you that story today because there's many times in our life where we might feel grief and sadness, where we might need to cry. And at those times, we might be acutely aware of what's going on. We might know exactly why we're crying. But there are other times where we're not even, we're kind of like my son was at, uh, as a toddler. We don't even understand why. We don't even understand what's going on. But we just feel this, this need um, to, to grieve and, and to mourn. But as we turn to our passage this morning, we're going to be in Jeremiah 31. I want to ask you if you're willing to ask this question of yourself. Will you ask this question, what makes me weep? What makes me weep? And as you think about that question, I remind you that we're in this series, One Big Story of Grace. Today, we're going to talk about the word mercy quite a bit. Um, and and the, the word mercy and grace, they are different things, but they're in, in God's economy, so to speak, they are very interwoven, all right, because mercy, the mercy of God is very gracious and the grace of God is very merciful. Um, and so they are interwoven, but um, so we're in this story, one big story of, of, of um, God's grace. And we've been in this series in the book of Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah chapter 31 to be specific, and I want to remind you that Jeremiah, many, many of you may not know this, but Jeremiah was often called the weeping prophet, right? That's something to be known for him. Why was he called the weeping prophet? Well, because from chapter 1 through 30 of Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah has been weeping over what he sees around him, over Israel turning from the Lord and Israel being carried into exile. Right? And so there's this, been this weeping over that. That's a very quick summary of 30 chapters. Um, and now we come here to, to chapter 31, where we see God, doing, um, God, God promising that, that this is not going to be the end of it all. And so let's look at Jeremiah 31. Let's, let's read verses 15 through 22. And in this passage, we're going to see that the need for God's mercy is worth weeping over. Jeremiah 20, or 31, beginning in verse 15. This is God's word. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and and your eyes from tears. For there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. I have heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored, for you are the Lord my God. For after I had turned away, I relented, and after I was instructed, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed that I was confounded, because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Set up road markers for yourself. Make yourself guideposts. Consider well the highway, the road by which you went. Return, O virgin Israel. Return to these your cities. How long will you waver, O faithless daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing on the earth. A woman encircles a man. I return to the question, what makes you weep? Do you weep because you see the need of God's mercy in your own life? Do you weep because you see the need of God's mercy in the world around you? There are many good reasons to weep that we're not going to talk about all of them today. And our first point this morning is we will see that, like Israel, even though there's many good reasons to weep, like Israel, we need to weep for what's needed most. So, look at verse 15 with me for a minute. I'll read it one more time. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. So, again, the people are in captivity. And all seems hopeless. And so the idea introduced here is that Rachel, um, the, the, that Rachel is weeping, that would have been very vivid to the people. And it would have been a clear picture of the hopelessness the people of Israel were facing and felt. And that's because when this passage refers to Rachel, it's using someone important in Israel's past that they all would have heard about in the stories as they grew up. Um, kind of like we hear stories in, in, um, as we grow up in the children's areas or wherever church you were in. As you grow up, they're hearing these stories, and, and the people of Israel would have heard the story of Rachel because she's the one that was the favored wife of Jacob. She's the one that was the mother of Joseph and Benjamin. She is being used as, as here as a personification of the people of Israel. Okay, so the reason, and, and, I, and I say that to, because personification was used often in Scripture, Um, particularly in Hebrew literature, we see personification regularly, but it was also used often in ancient Near Eastern culture. And so that's to apply a person to represent something bigger. So um, at this point in Israel's history, and the reason again for using Rachel, is the part of Israel that had been obtained by the descendants of Benjamin, so the descendants of Rachel, Rachel, Benjamin, those descendants, the part that had been obtained by them, had been destroyed, and they had been carried off. And so Rachel, the mother of that part of Israel, is being depicted as weeping, and that personifies the sorrow and the anguish being felt by everyone because of the situation. And it goes on and it says that she refused to be comforted. Now that has a deeper meaning in Hebrew than it does in English, because what it's really saying there is, Um, she could not be comforted through circumstances because of the desperate situation. She couldn't, it wasn't just that she was like, nope, I'm not going to be comforted. She couldn't be comforted because of the circumstances and how desperate the situation was. And I want to remind you why that situation came about. Uh, This is important as we go on in the passage. It came about as a result of the people turning away from God over and over again. That's why the situation was what it was. And so now, if I tie all that together, this weeping indicates a realization of a great need for the mercy of God. The people of Israel had came to an understanding of, a great, of their great need for the mercy of God. It's also mentioned here in verse 15 that the weeping and sorrow was heard from Ramah. That's not just some random place. Um, It was in the north in that same region that we were talking about where the descendants of Benjamin came from. But even um, more importantly, it was, um, the word means, from the heights, okay? So when you want to amplify something, you can use a microphone. But did y'all know that people preached and talked and did things for a long time without these things? Um, You know, the idea would be to get up higher then, right? And so you're up higher so you can project further, more people could hear. That's what's going on here. This is so important that from the heights, the mercy of God is being called out for, the weeping and and the desire for the mercy is being called out for by the people of Israel. It was a desperate situation. And it pointed to the need for God's mercy. Now, I'm going to pause on that for a minute. And I'm going to give you just a little bit of, of teaching about how we read the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, we'll come back to this mercy of God thing here in just a minute. Um, you know, a lot of times when we read the the Old Testament, we think, okay, so this is about the people of Israel. Here's this prophecy for the people of Israel, um, and so when is that fulfilled? All right, now that is part of it, right? But it's bigger than that. And I'm going to use an illustration to let you to, to help you understand this. So. You ever been driving along the road? And and if you've ever driven out west, you can see this even more because there's not trees. But just in general, you're driving along the road, and, and you're going to the mountains, right? And you're going to a mountain range, okay? And so you're driving along the road, and you see these mountains, and you're like, I'm going to the mountains. Well, Jeremiah's making this prophecy, and it's like, here's the prophecy. It's the mountains, right? And as you drive along the road, as you get to the mountains and you kind of drive up in the mountains a little bit, what do you see behind the mountains? More mountains, right? Lots more mountains that you didn't really realize were there. Well, the prophets in the Old Testament, a lot of them, they're, they're prophesying about this, what God's showing them. They don't always understand what's behind that, but it doesn't mean it's not behind it, right? Because what's behind it is the gospel coming and the fulfillment of the gospel. What's behind it is the church growing. What's behind it ultimately is the new heavens and the new earth, all right, that's important um, because a lot of times we think we, reading the Old Testament is just not even that useful because we don't understand that part of it. But I'm going to tell you that God left us all his word for a reason. It's because we need all of his word. All right, so with that said, now that I, now that I lay that out there a little bit, um, with that in mind, I want, to, I want you to know that verse 15 is quoted in Matthew chapter 2, verse 18. Um, so this, this thing, it, it might have sounded a little bit familiar to you, and you're like, I don't really remember reading in Jeremiah. Um, that's because it's quoted in, in what we often read as part of the Christmas story or the season of Advent, uh, the birth of Jesus. And you remember that the birth of Jesus, um, the wise men come, all right? They go off to, to, uh, to see Jesus, and they come back, and they, they don't tell Herod, Um, who wants to know where this baby is so he could go kill him. They don't tell Herod where he is, and so um, Herod gets furious. And in his anger, he says, he tells him to go kill all those two and under in Bethlehem, right? So what's the point? Why does does, um, the the gospel writer quote what has been said in, in Jeremiah, it's to show again that even in this new season of the church, this new season of the gospel where where we're seeing this come to fruition, even then there is still the desperate need for the mercy of God. This desperate need for his grace and his mercy. I'm going to say it anyway. So (laughs) y'all got to see a little bit of my brain working there. Um, this is important. It is important for me to go ahead and say this. So, so anytime Scripture says something about Scripture that was before it, we believe the, the, the principle that Scripture interprets Scripture. So sometimes it looks to us like things are very confusing and like, like God's contradicting himself. Like in this passage, it was like this was about the return of the Israelites. It was. But then in Matthew 2, it says it was also about the gospel. And later we see it's also about what's to come. Okay? Scripture interprets scripture. That is a very important principle for us to get um, as we learn to understand what's in God's word. All right. Now, if you missed all of that, let me come back around and say this. What's needed most is the mercy of God in the Old Testament, in the time of the Gospels of Jesus on the earth, and today. We need God's mercy as well. You remember back, most of you, to when you first understood your sin? You first understood, wow, I need something more than what I'm living for right now. There's something wrong with, in, in me. You knew in that moment your desperate need for the mercy of God. You knew it. And as we continue in the Christian life, we again and again have moments where God, God reveals something in our heart that's still not aligned with his Still not aligned with what his word says is good for us. And we realize, well, I I still need the mercy of God. But it shouldn't stop there. Because a lot of times we kind of, I'm going to say it this way, um, and and I'm not putting this on all of you, but I'm going to put it on my heart. Sometimes I can get lazy and not want to apply it beyond that, right? Okay, I got me covered. I've shared it with my family. I've shared it with our church. Good to go right? Well, it shouldn't stop there. If we're followers of Jesus, if we've received God's grace to make us his child and therefore we've received his mercy and he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, then we should, when we see the results of brokenness and sin in this world, those things out there around us, yes, the things going on in our church family, but, but the things out there, when we see those things, it should move our hearts to grieve, and to cry out for what the world needs most, and that is the mercy and grace of God. I've been praying this week, the last two weeks, I've been working on this. Lord, make me tender-hearted to the things that you care about. Make me tender-hearted to the things that are broken in this world. I'd invite you to join me in that prayer as the Lord leads you. And the reason we want to pray for that is that it leads, is our second point. The cries for mercy will be heard. Look at verse 16. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. This seems like it's contradicting what it's just said. It was saying talking about weeping and everything. And now it's saying but don't weep. But but that's because now what it's doing is it's looking forward and it's saying the tears are not going to be forever. The tears will not be ongoing. The cries for mercy from the people of Israel will be heard. And that's what we see in verses 17 through 20. So I'm going to go through these quickly and summarize. Verse 17, there is a hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. The Lord's telling them, to the people of Israel, there is a hope. The people are going to be restored from captivity But it's important that we don't miss what changes through their cries of mercy. They're crying out for mercy from God, but what changes? In their cries, they acknowledge something. Look at verse 18. I have heard Ephraim, and now Ephraim is representing Israel as a whole. I have heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored, for you are the Lord my God. What's changed? they're acknowledging that it was their sin that led them into captivity. It was God allowing them the results of their sin. It was them being disciplined. And their cries for mercy led them to an understanding of that. And then what happens? They turn to the Lord who alone can have mercy on them. And as they turn to the Lord, verse 19, for after I had turned away, I relented. And after I was instructed, I struck my thigh. This is a sign of repentance. Striking the thigh and the culture was a deep sorrow and grief. It, it was a sign of deep sorrow and grief. It's also used by Ezekiel. It's used by Isaiah. i used, I think, by Hosea. And the sign, the, the sorrow and grief in Israel was so bad, it says, that they were ashamed and they were confounded because they kept returning back to the sins of their youth. This is, it. This is now Ephraim. I mean, using, using Ephraim as the people of Israel. They kept going back. And what I think it's referring to here is the time in the wilderness where again and again and again they disobeyed the Lord. But God promises something here that as often as he has spoken against disobedient Israel for their continuing to turn away from him, he is also a sovereign God who loves his children. And it's his steadfast covenant love, his faithfulness, that leads to repentance. You see that love in verse 20. Is Ephraim my dear son... Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. John's told, you this, told us this before, um, the word heart there. In the Hebrew, it's it's the deepest core of who we are. It's not just an organ in our body, but this deepest core of who we are. God said, In in, in my character, in my faithfulness, in my steadfastness, my heart yearns for my people, and I will have mercy on them. But it's not just Israel's cries the cries of all of God's people will be heard we see that in revelation 21:7 I, I quoted it in prayer earlier that there will be no more sorrow no more death no more crying no more tears it's speaking of the new heavens and the new earth when things are fully made new what does that mean for us now as we cry out for the mercy of God in our own lives, again, when we realize that because of the grace of Jesus, God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, you know what he begins to do for us? He begins to give us hearts of repentance. The heart of repentance comes when we're followers of Jesus who have been saved by his grace who have received his mercy the heart of repentance comes from a trust in a sovereign God who loves his children yes prior to coming to the Lord there is a sense of and you see it through scripture repent or perish so that's real right um, that's and and so that is real we don't pretend it's not but as followers of Jesus, the reason we repent, the reason we continue to come back to him is not because he's going to stop loving us. Those, those things are all throughout scripture. We come back to him because of his steadfast love. Because we know he will continue uh, to receive us and grow us and give us the power to change in our lives. This heart of repentance also causes us to grow in seeing things the way God wants us to see them, the way His word shows them to us. and we become more heartbroken, more heartbroken at the injustices we see around us. We become more willing, we'll grow in becoming more willing to be inconvenienced as God leads us to step into situations with our time, our resources our prayers for help of others. And so now we are all to be part of crying out for God's mercy, not just in our lives and for our loved ones, yes, in that, but for the world around us. We're to be a part of demonstrating who God is, demonstrating the mercy of God that has been given to us, and You know what's great? As we do that, as we do that, God will use us to show others around us a glimpse of the new heavens and the new earth by the way we interact with the world. You may see it here if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. You may see it in the glimpse of what of the things we're seeing. And we don't we don't do that just because it's what we do. Um, we're, we're looking to our Lord Jesus. But man, that seems hard sometimes, doesn't it? So how do we do it? I think that leads to our final point this morning. We do it as we rely on the Lord who hears our cries. We rely on the Lord who hears our cries. Look at verse 21. He says, set up road markers for yourself. Make yourself guideposts. Consider well the highway, the road by which you went. Return, O virgin Israel, return to these your cities. And so he's telling them, set up markers and guideposts um, so that you'll remember the way. What the, the idea here is, you know, there's, there's all those songs. It's like, well, just turn your back on stuff and just run and, and go away and just keep going that way and forget everything behind you. Well, what God's saying is, no, you need to, re- you know, you're returning, right? And as you return, there need to be markers. It's, it's like road signs, right? Markers that are pointing back to the way, to the place, to the one where you will receive mercy, Right. There are many markers for us today as well. There are markers for the people of God. One of those markers is communion, the Lord's table. Right? We remember the way in communion. Who was the way? You can say it out loud. Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so we come to communion regularly because in communion, there is is the, the presence of God working to show us in our hearts, yes, you're relying on the mercy and the grace of God. That is where you rely. That is where you keep coming back to remember the way. We remember the way um, as we come to God's word together. You know, Mark was talking at the beginning with announcements. You know, even our connecting, all these things we do, we want to do with an, with an eye and a mind toward connecting to disciple. Right? We want to be about growing together in remembering the way, growing together in what God's word shows us so that we can keep coming back to him. It's, it's why we gather for worship. We talked about that two weeks ago. We need those markers ourselves. And just like he told Israel, he was reminding them, you need to remember the way because the reason you got to where you were was you were failing to cry out to the Lord by trying to do things in your own way. You were disobedient to God. You stopped being about what he said was good, yes, in behavior, but also in in heart attitude toward what God said you were to be about. And that led you into captivity. Don't forget that. Remember the way back is to return, return to what is good in the Lord's eyes. Return through Jesus. As we return to these things, and then as these, we take these things and we apply them in our workplace, as we take these things and we apply them, it's not just about doing business, it's how do we do it? We apply them in our schools. We apply them um, in our community. You know, I think about those who were doing, um, you know, a couple weeks ago we heard about the mission trip to Clarkston, working with refugees. The people there who are working with the refugees regularly, at some point they saw, here is an injustice that is going on in the world, and here is an opportunity for us Um, to God is calling us to to be here and to minister to these people and to help these people um, in this great time of need that they have. God may not be calling everyone in this room to go work with refugees, but God is calling us to cry out for mercy and to do what he's showing us in these places where we see injustice in the world. I want to end by looking at verse 22 quickly. I think that what he's doing here in verse 22 is kind of summarizing all that he's just been talking about. And here we see the Lord has created a new thing on earth. Verse 22, how long will you waver, O faithless daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing on the earth. A woman encircles a man. I'm going to be very candid with you. Um, when I, about two weeks ago, I was talking to Pastor John about this passage and we were kinda, we were talking back and forth and, and maybe some others in, in worship review as well and, and they said, what are you going to do with that phrase, a woman in circles a man? I said, I don't know, maybe skip it. Um, <laughs> it's because I, like, I don't know what that means. Um, I tell you all that because you need to understand we come to plenty of things. As, I've studied about studying scripture. I've studied scripture for years. I read about people who study scripture and I come to places of scripture and I'm like, I don't know. And so we keep reading and we keep studying. So when you do that, when you come to those places in Scripture, it's okay to say, I don't know, but don't just leave it. Talk to somebody. Ask someone. Um, let's, and we'll help you find resources to look through that, and we'll talk through it with you. I like it when y'all come to me with things like that because I can say, I don't know either. Let's grow together. Right? So now, that aside, I am going to tell you what I think it means uh, based on, on studying it. Okay, A woman, what, what I think is going on here is God has been through Jeremiah, has been personifying Israel as a woman. In this immediate verse, verse 22, he says, "Oh, faithless daughter, all right? And there's this idea of this, these, the people of Israel being described as those who have been carried off, who, who in this moment are helpless, who can't do anything to save themselves in this moment. Um, they've been faithless, and it says so. So that picture going on, but the word used for man here is not the normal Hebrew word used for man. Um, the word used for man here is the word that depicts a strong, courageous, brave uh, man. All right, one who would be hard to overthrow on your own. Now you put this in context of the captivity. Right? I think the strong man that he's, he's saying here is this picture of that you're in this captivity, this strong man is, is, is encircling, but because of God, because of God's faithfulness, because of his work, even though you can't do anything on your own to help yourself right now, God is going to deliver you. God is going to show mercy to you. And then it has a gospel application. Many theologians speaking about this, almost unanimously speaking about this passage, say this is also seen as a picture of when um, the the virgin birth, of when Eve then encircles um, a man, and this is a new beginning. The Lord is doing a new thing, right? So I say all that to come back to say this. Because God is at work, those who cannot help themselves those without strength those who need the mercy of god can receive the amazing merciful and gracious love of god through the work of jesus First corinthians 1 corinthians 127 through 28 shows us that it all he also can use those very same people those very same people to show the world around us a glimpse of that day we were singing about earlier. 1 Corinthians 1, 27-28 says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We are, in our own strength, we are the foolish. We are the weak. In the sense of we can't bring about the mercy of God on our own so we cry out to him but we do so in that weeping as psalm 30 says psalm 30 verse 8 says and that weeping will last for the night but joy comes in the morning because what we see today is not the end thank you lord for the glimpses you let us be a part of showing and that you show us but there's that day when it's all all that sadness and sorrow and grief is gone because we are face-to-face with our Lord Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at The Have a great week.